Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Thursday, April 28, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us for another great show coming to you live and direct from beautiful South Carolina. Got to take a nice trip to Columbia today, the state capital, and traversed many of the highways and byways. Uh, And what a beautiful state. A lot of trees and greenery and beautiful skies and nice temperatures, and it was just a wonderful time. Met up with Rosemary Wallace from uh, Columbia Normal here in Columbia, South Carolina, and we met at the state capitol to transfer the Unity Cipher, which is a uh, about a three-and-a-half-foot torch uh, signed by activists all the way from Portland, Maine, as it makes its way down to Miami, Florida. So we are the relay leg from Columbia, South Carolina to Atlanta, Georgia. We'll be taking the torch to Atlanta tomorrow and a huge day for tomorrow's uh, event in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll be at the Olympic Park at uh, 1230 noon, uh, 1230 afternoon, I should say. Uh, And let me get the schedule up here. Capitol and Liberty Park from 1230 to 1. From 2 to 3, we'll be at Centennial Olympic Park. From 4 to 5 at the National Center for Civil and Human Rights. We'll, of course, light the torch right at 420 there at the Center for Civil and Human Rights. And then from 6 to 730, we'll be at the Pot Shop on Euclid Avenue in Little Five Points. And I'll be at all of these events, uh, taking selfies and uh, recording interviews reviews and signing High Times Magazine. You might want to pick up the uh, latest issue of High Times Magazine, the June 2016 issue on newsstands now. Uh, I think it's page 54 is where my article is on the top 24 world pot destinations. So if you bring that magazine, I'll be glad to sign it for you. Now, coming up on today's show, we have got a lot to get to because over the past two weeks, I have been from coast to coast, literally coast to coast, covering at least nine or ten different marijuana events. We're going to bring you highlights from all of them. Right after the uh, Cannabis Radio News, we're going to give you a Cannabis Chronicles uh, in uh, favor of the NBA playoffs that are happening right now. We've got an interview with Cliff Robinson, a.k.a. Uncle Spliffy from the Moda Center in uh, Portland, Oregon. Then we'll follow that up with our trip to Columbia, South Carolina in the activist agenda. We spoke with Rosemary Wallace there in Columbia on the difficulties of activism and uh, coming out of the cannabis closet in such a red conservative state. Then we've got the cannabinoid medicine update Uh, in New York City. I got the chance to meet with Dr. Sue Sisley. She's been approved to do the first 
FDA and DEA, now DEA-approved study for the use of smoked cannabis for veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress. So we discussed that with her at the Museum of Drug Policy on Park Avenue in New York. And then a second cannabinoid medicine update in Baltimore, Maryland. I got the chance to sit down with Dr. David Behrman at the Patients Out of Time conference. So that'll be our hour one. And then coming up in hour two, I've got an extended uh, feature, uh, the presentation from Oregon State Senator Floyd Prozanski at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference in Eugene, Oregon this Sunday as he discusses the legislature and the new regulations regarding recreational and medical marijuana in the state of Oregon. Plus, we'll take your calls an hour or two at 971-533-7111. There's a story in the news I'm going to get to as well. Plus, of course, the headlines. We've got uh, New Jersey weed man, our good friend Ed Fortune, is in trouble again. We'll tell you all about that. Plus, stories from Fort Collins, Piketon, Ohio, King County, Washington, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Phoenix, Arizona in the Cannabis Radio News when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. The story of uh, Alexis, Team Alexis. Uh, she's the little nine-year-old girl who uh, is using medical marijuana. Allows a certain amount of THC. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. <sighs> Did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, April 28, 2016. Trenton, New Jersey. 
A New Jersey marijuana advocate dubbed New Jersey Weed Man has been arrested again on marijuana charges after law enforcement raided his restaurant and cannabis temple. Prosecutors say Ed Fortune was arrested Wednesday along with 10 other people after a raid of his business across the street from Trenton City Hall. Fortune has spent time in prison on previous drug charges. He wasn't immediately available to comment. Fortune opened New Jersey Weed Man's Joint and Attached Cannabis Church last year. He sued Trenton police last month, saying they infringed on his religious rights after shutting down the cannabis temple for operating too late. Acting Mercer County Prosecutor Angelo Onofri said Thursday the Narcotics Task Force had received information that Fortune was distributing marijuana. Fort Collins, Colorado. A Fort Collins mother has been convicted of supplying marijuana to her 19-year-old son, who leaped out a third-story window after consuming a marijuana-infused brownie. The son, Austin Essig, reportedly ate one dose of the brownie and soon after began acting strangely. Witnesses say he ran toward the living room window and jumped out of it without hesitation. Essig suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The mother, Julianne Jablonski, was cleared by the jury of the more serious felony charge of witness tampering based on an accusation that Jablonski begged Essig's roommate to lie about getting the brownie from her. The sentence from distri- the sentence for distributing marijuana products to a minor can range from probation to 18 months in jail. Piketon, Ohio. Eight members of a family believed to be involved in the black market marijuana business were found massacred in rural Ohio last week. Members of the Roden family, aged 16, 19, 20, 20, 37, 38, 40, and 44, were found shot to death execution style, while three children in the home survived, a four-day-old, a six-month-old, and a three-year-old. As for a motive, Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine alluded to the discovery of commercial indoor grows found in three homes on the rural property, saying, quote, It's clear it's not just someone growing marijuana in their backyard or in a few pots in their house. It's a commercial operation. Everyone can draw their own conclusions, end quote. An earlier press release from DeWine's office said authorities believe the suspects to be, quote, from Mexico and, quote, involved in some sort of organized crime, end quote. Ohio voters last year by a two to one margin defeated a proposal to create a legal commercial marijuana industry. King County, Washington, the Metropolitan King County Council, which controls the unincorporated areas around Seattle, Washington, has enacted an emergency four-month moratorium on marijuana businesses. The moratorium was enacted without any public notice hearing or debate, a move Councilmember Reagan Dunn said was necessary to prevent businesses from flooding the county with applications to beat the moratorium date. Voters in King County overwhelmingly supported the passage of marijuana legalization in 2012. Only one of the nine council members, Gene Cole Wells, voted against the moratorium, citing the lack of public input. Albuquerque, New Mexico. The New Mexico Foundation for Open Government and a journalist have dropped their lawsuit against the State Department of Health, now releasing public records with names of licensed medical marijuana producers. The foundation and freelance journalist Peter St. Cyr sued last July in state district court, but the case was put on hold soon after because the state agreed to begin taking steps to remove confidentiality provisions. St. Cyr and the foundation sued after the department denied requests invoking the State Inspection of Public Records Act for names of the licensed cannabis producers. The department announced in January it would make the records public. The foundation's announcement of the dismissal quotes plaintiff's attorney Charles Kip Purcell as expressing appreciation for the department's willingness to revamp its original confidentiality rules. 
Phoenix, Arizona, Arizona health officials are gearing up to award dozens of additional licenses for medical marijuana dispensaries. The Department of Health Services says the exact number of licenses that will be awarded isn't yet known, but says there will likely be about 30 available when the state begins accepting applications this summer. Arizona now has 99 licensed dispensaries and that 92 of those are open and operating. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, April 28th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo for Earth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome! said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Canna Business Chronicles. Go back to the Oregon Moda Center with Cliff Robinson. We are here at the Oregon Cannabis Caucus, a National Cannabis Industry Association event, and Uncle Spliffy himself is here, Cliff Robinson. How are you doing, Cliff? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? Great. Glad to have you here. And I was just talking with Bernadette about uh, uh, the, the move to get professional athletes and people involved in athletics to understand the medical aspects of cannabis. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing in that respect. Well, we're, we're really going to uh, try to focus on the sports medicine side uh, to really try to uh, continue 
uh, you know, getting the education out there because I think that's going to be the most important part as uh, we continue to move forward to uh, knock down the negative around cannabis is really uh, support the uh, support the, the the findings that we that we that we come up with and, and really try to uh, really create those findings and be out in front of those. Uh, 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 of those things and, uh, you know, really try to validate what it is that we're talking about. You know, we need to get this education out to uh, the mainstream and to the, the management, the executives, the NBA and these other sports leagues. The players themselves seem to get it, but do they get it from the perspective of, oh, weed's just not a big deal, or do they really understand the medical aspects? Well, that, that, that's why we have to continue getting the information out there for them as well, because myself being uh, uh, new to the business, uh, not new to cannabis, but new to the business side. Now that all this information is out there, I'm I'm I'm, I'm a more educated cannabis uh, uh, consumer and user myself. So I think the more we can continue putting that information out there for them and, and putting products out there that uh, they're able to to test, I think uh, you know that that that'll go a long way. You know, uh, as, as a former NBA player, I'm sure you've been hit up for lots of different business opportunities. A lot of people want to try to get your name and celebrity involved with something. As you get involved with this cannabis industry, what do you think of the people and the industry itself? Well, I think it's wonderful because, like I said, all, the, all this information that has been, uh, you know, behind closed doors in a black market, so to speak, is uh, now uh, out there available to uh, to to make a to to have a more educated uh, con- uh, cannabis user and consumer, I think uh, you know it's wonderful. Uh, the, the the wealth of knowledge that has been behind closed doors is now out there for everybody to kind of really take in. And and uh, you know me, I'm learning I'm learning stuff new every day. So uh, I, I'm excited about being a part of the industry. Now, I understand there's a, a special event going on tomorrow uh, involving uh, Blazers versus Nugs. How appropriate. Can you tell us about that? Well, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an event over at the, uh, the Blazers game. Um, uh, Josh Kincaid uh, from Superchronics uh, organized it. And, uh, you know, it, it's really to uh, continue, uh, you know, doing positive things around cannabis as a whole. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to be a part of it. You know, especially there at the Motor Center, uh, you know, uh, the Blazers, uh, you know, have opened up their doors to, you know, just, you know, being more educated as, uh, you know, a, a business as well. So I'm excited to be a part of it. I finally get a chance to ask you a non-marijuana question. Hypothetically, NBA Finals, 95-96 Bulls against this year's Warriors. What do you think? How does it go? Jordan versus Curry. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm old school. Uh, you know, I think the uh, the Warriors have had tremendous success. Uh, you know, they're they're built for today's NBA. Uh, they do a great job at playing together. But I'm old school, so I would have to uh, lean towards the Bulls. I, I had I asked this of one person who said, "Depends on whether we're using the rules from the '90s or the rules from today." Exactly. But if you use the rules for today, uh, from today, imagine Michael Jordan in this kind of uh, uh, in this kind of system. He played great in a system where everybody's with hands-on. So yeah. now if they couldn't touch him, imagine that. Yeah, but on the other hand, Dennis Rodman would be a little limited. Uh, he would be a little limited, but, you know, he's a Hall of Fame player. Scottie Pippen's a Hall of Fame yeah. player. Michael Jordan's arguably the greatest of all time. And, so. and, and the Warriors coach. 
and, and Steve Kerr was a part of that team who was a great shooter. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's fun to think about that kind of stuff, but, you know, it, each era is different. So you got to give them all their, uh, their propers and their respects and just, you know, I don't compare them. Right on. Cliff Robinson, the Uncle Spliffy line. Give people any contact or Internet information they need to look that stuff up. Uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll be launching uh, our website here soon at uh, Uncle Spliffy, uh, UncleSpliffy.com. Uh, you can reach us uh, on uh, Twitter at Uncle Spliffy. Uh, uh, this is bullshit. It's like Cypress Hill concert in here. All right, folks, that sound means that it's 420 in the mountain time zone. Denver, Colorado getting the smoke on. You can see that haze rising above the uh, Rocky Mountains, can't you? We're going to take a break. When we come back, my adventures from today, my trip to Columbia, South Carolina to visit Rosemary Wallace from Columbia Normal and pick up the Unity Torch on its way to Atlanta, Georgia tomorrow. We're out all day tomorrow live, so check us out. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Activism begins with ACT. The Russ Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Today in the activist agenda, we visited the capital of South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, a beautiful state capital with a very remarkable monument uh, to African-American history. I'll be posting some of the pictures of that on my uh, Google Plus page. 
But uh, we met up with Rosemary Wallace, who's a veteran who is fighting for medical marijuana access. And as we sat there on the bench uh, talking and various lawmakers were walking by, she was always quick with a smile and quick with a greeting to that lawmaker. One saw her shirt that said Girl Scout cookies, and she said, it's my medicine, sir. Very, very proud of Rosemary. This is my interview with her. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. Radical Russ here in Columbia, South Carolina at the State House grounds where we have met up with Rosemary, who is conducting this part of the Unity Cipher, the uh, East Coast Cannabis Coalition, bringing this torch down from Portland, Maine, all the way to Miami, Florida. Rosemary, thanks for inviting us here. Oh, Thank you very much for coming, Russ. I appreciate it. So tell us how you got involved with uh, cannabis activism, ending prohibition. Uh, I got back, started in 2008 in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, actually, um, through the thanks of Rebecca Forbes. We were um, at a convention there well, during the DNC, and we met up. It was only 15 people out in the field when we first started, and then from there I just never looked back. So is there a, uh, what brings you to this issue? Is there a personal angle to this? Did you know people that got busted or is it a medical issue to you? Oh, I'm all the above. I mean, it's a personal issue. It's a medical issue. It's a vet issue. It's an everybody issue. And I think I'm the best representative in this area. Matter of fact, during the time that we've been here doing this, we've had three more people arrested from, from marijuana possession, which is ridiculous. It's a plant. You give pedophiles less time. So what, what is going on here i mean we seriously need to look take a look at our state laws here and ask the question are we really serious about this you say you're christians this is not a christian act what you're doing you say you love god this is not a godly act that you're doing because you persecute you're persecuting people for using his plant that was put here on this earth for everybody regardless if you are uh, Christian or atheist. Matter of fact, Russ, I had an atheist to meet me at my church yesterday. Is that incredible? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I understand God loves atheists too. Yes, he does. He <laughs> loves everybody. So, I, you know, she did not draw me a back. Um, I'm not going to mention her name because I, I didn't get permission to. But if you check my Facebook page, you'll see the, the Christian and the atheist did meet up at the church. That is not a joke. That is real. So you had an event uh, in Rock Hill last night. How did that go? Oh, that went great. It was pretty much just for me to pray over the torch for everybody that's touched it for healing purposes and that we can go ahead and finally get healing in this state. This is well needed. They passed the CBD bill. That's fine. But we need more than that. We need a bill that's going to help not one, not a few select people, but everyone. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the southern states, all of them have passed some form of a CBD legislation, but uh, you don't have any place to get it here, even if you uh, do have an epileptic kid, right? That's correct. And the stuff that they do pass is, you know, I don't consider it a true CBD because you're going to need THC from order for that CBD to work. Yeah, that's that's something a lot of people don't know, and I think a lot of these legislators uh, are just trying to cover their own butts when it comes to, well, we did something that's medical marijuana, are you happy now? Not realizing, not having the education to know, like you said, the THC is important. Yes, that's correct. Matter of fact, we just got finished with the legislation. We had one senator, Senator Johnson, that had had the nerve to say in front of a committee, the medical board, saying that it, we call, it causes people to beat their wives. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> Cannabis? 
ridiculous? Yes, isn't that ridiculous? I have it on tape. I, I almost fell out my chair listening to that crap. It's almost uh, you sure that they weren't talking about alcohol? Oh, I'm quite sure alcohol was involved. You look at that. We're talking about the moonshine capital right here. I mean, they still running moonshine. They still. I mean, if you don't look on the average here in South Carolina, you have more. Um, domestic violence and domestic violence starts with alcohol, not with cannabis. I don't know nobody yet personally, and I've been doing this for quite a long time, that I got beat up after smoking a blunt or a joint or, you know, doing a dab. I done did over um, 30 events in the state of Colorado alone that I never seen nobody hurt. I did se- several events in D.C., didn't see nobody get hurt. So where are they getting this nonsense from, Russ? Please tell me. I have no idea. And the penalties here in South Carolina are, are still pretty strict, aren't they? Oh, yeah some of the strictest in the country so um, you know me I'm being risky I'm like you radical Russ I don't give a you know what <laughs> <laughs> ran out of them I had a few but they're all gone now I don't no. know what <laughs> <laughs> and I mean but I do it for medical reasons because the point is this I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder I'm a veteran I'm representing our veterans here in South Carolina because we lose 22 a day and 22 is too too many they can give you opioid prescriptions all day but you say you use cannabis they take your my medication away from me I have three rusty discs in my back a total knee replacement and as of now they took any kind of pain medication away from me they will not give me any at all because I came out the closet but you know what you can keep your pharmaceuticals I don't need them I don't want them personally I can't wait to get out of this state so I can get some real medicine <laughs> let's hear it for that so uh, Rosemary uh other folks here in South Carolina, they must be. It must be difficult to come out of the closet. It must be difficult to uh, stand up and be counted. So their strength in numbers. What sort of contact information or websites can you give people if they want to band together and help out? Okay, they can catch me up on Facebook, or they can catch me on my Miss Green Jeans page, or they can catch me on my show page, which I'm still looking. Um, right now, I'm in a big deal that I can't go in with everybody. Where's Rosemary's World of Cannabis is gonna wind up? That's my show, and you can go on that page also because we'll be posting up there and also on Twitter as Miss Green Jeans One. As I started out with One Blunt Radio in this beautiful city of Denver, Colorado. Hello, everybody. I love y'all. Miss you. <laughs> Rosemary Wallace, thank you so much for putting this on. And uh, check out Ms. Green Jeans 1. That's correct. On Twitter. All right. We'll be back with more as we get some more people here at the uh, Capitol here in South Carolina. I'm Radical Russ. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. That was Rosemary Wallace at the State Capitol. And we did wait there for people to show up. And unfortunately, none did. It was early morning on a week weekday, but uh, I'm afraid that there's uh, just still a lot of fear in South Carolina. A lot of people afraid to show their face and to uh, be open about their support for marijuana legalization. That, however, did not detour uh, uh, us at all. We continued with our celebration of marijuana legalization, and I'm sure Rosemary will still be fighting. When we come back, we've got a cannabinoid medicine update. Great news from Dr. Sue Sisley on a new organization of physicians when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. 
Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. While humans have been using cannabis for medicinal purposes for over 5,000 years, medical science is only beginning to unlock the secrets of the endocannabinoid system and the promise of cannabinoid medicines. Join us now for the latest cannabinoid medicine update. Good day, tokers and toquettes. Radical Russ here at the Museum of Drug Policy, a very interesting temporary three-day museum that's just popped up here on Park Avenue, and I've run into Dr. Sue Sisley. Hello, Dr. Sue. Hi, everybody. Now, we're really excited to talk to you because uh, the rumor has it there's this brand new organization that's going to be kicking ass on drug reform. Tell us all about it. Yes, we're a new nonprofit called Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, and we just launched yesterday, and we're so thrilled. We had a terrific teleconference with tons of media outlets talking about the important, you know, basically what we're trying to do is create a sanctuary for physicians to speak publicly about their support of full adult legalization in this country. And we, um, you know, are really thrilled to finally see common sense and and public health prevail over drug war propaganda. So this is going beyond doctors calling for medicinal applications of cannabis, but also calling for decriminalization, regulation, legalization as a harm reduction measure? Yeah, absolutely. We actually don't even focus on medical cannabis. That's not part of our mission. We're strictly um, you know, laser-focused on trying to end prohibition nationally, and then ultimately our board hopes to um, expand internationally and work with other countries. You know, We've already gotten tons of inquiries from physicians worldwide who've heard about our group who want to participate and see if we can help influence their drug policy also. So we're basically focused squarely on 
full adult legalization, creating a tax and regulate model in all the states so that um, eventually, you know, ultimately the idea would be to remove physicians as gatekeepers from these medical cannabis programs. I don't think any of us like the idea of being a gatekeeper for a for a God-given plant that has never been put through the proper drug development process. We want, you know, the plant to be fully decriminalized, not, not um, I'm sorry, not de- fully um, descheduled, not rescheduled. That's important to emphasize that we don't believe in rescheduling at all. We know that it has to be descheduled in order to achieve full legalization, in order to achieve um, the, the end of these r- absurd barriers to research. And that's a big part of how I entered this. Um, you know, I, the, way, the reason I was so enthusiastic about joining this board of directors is because, of course, the We've become experts in the barriers to marijuana research over the last six years with our PTSD study being systematically impeded by the government. I've got firsthand knowledge now on how the government has has been able to stonewall this study because the truth is you cannot study the cannabis plant, the efficacy of the cannabis plant, in an atmosphere of prohibition. We've proven that it's impossible to do this. And, um, and so most scientists can't afford to be languishing for six years waiting for a study to get underway and so um, we are eager to see um, legalization implemented nationally and to see um, research finally flourish in this country. 20 years ago when we saw the first major breakthrough, California and Arizona passed uh, medical cannabis initiatives. Of course, Arizona's called for a prescription, so it didn't work. But the reaction from the federal government, the Clinton administration, specifically Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel, was to try to shut down doctors' free speech rights, to go after them if they even recommended cannabis. We had to go to the Supreme Court to get that right. So who are on your board of directors, these brave doctors, and how difficult is it to get doctors to, to speak out like this? Yeah, well, it's surprising how easily we managed to get 53 physicians, some of the most prominent, highly credentialed physicians in the country, to um, to join not just the board of directors, but this um, li- growing list of founding members. And um, we're so pleased because these are really mainstream physicians. I mean, one of the problems is that the, the, the docs who usually speak out about this are often sort of on the fringe, they're often naturopaths and folks, that, but these are mainstream MDs and DOs that are acknowledging that the harms of criminalizing this plan and saying this must end, that we view this as a public health crisis now. The, the racial disparities are sickening and it needs to stop. And I'm really proud of it. And I think what you'll see is the quality of the physicians who've taken the lead in this group, people like that you probably know these names, the, the incredible Julie Holland, the author of the pot book. Um, we have Donald Abrams on our um, honorary board, Andy Weil on our honorary board, some just terrific people. We have, we have former Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders calling for full legalization. And, um, you know, so, and, and yesterday we even had Wesley Clark um, join, yes, and the Wesley Clark participated in this national teleconference and said some really powerful things about um, why this is so urgent. So I think um, we're in a great position to um, to be able to bring along a lot of new doctors and create a real sanctuary for physicians to finally feel free to, to come out and speak openly about this. Because the truth is, when you talk to, when I speak to my physician colleagues privately, whether it's in the doctor's lounges at dinners and things, we always um, talk about 
um, how unfair, how, how unjust it is that our society continues to criminalize this plan. But to get them to speak on the record about that has been impossible. So now we're going to create a forum where they can come out and talk about this without fear of retribution and reprisal because they're going to be surrounded by other like-minded physicians who are also at the level they are and they're going to um, hopefully find um, the courage to do that. We're um, so anyway, we're, we're really thrilled about We're getting a lot of momentum. We had an incredible piece in the Washington Post last week where they highlighted, you know, they, they went over all the, um, the, the, the mission of the group and the, 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 the vision moving forward. And one of the interesting things was they quoted DuPont in the article who said, um, who's clearly a prohibitionist. And Robert DuPont. Said, yeah, Robert DuPont said, and, and I'm not quoting him uh, properly, but I, he basically he said that um, he thinks that, you know, ending prohibition is, a, is an incredibly idiotic idea. And that he said that he thinks that um, the criminal justice system is an extremely effective method of treating addicts. <laughs> So it's so helpful when we have um, opponents like that who are making um, you know completely absurd statements like that that we can easily um, challenge publicly. And I think that the public support for our um, work, you know, it's great to be on the side of of common sense and good reasoning. And we feel like we're we're taking the right position here. And people like Robert Dupont are um, completely out of step with the rest of the public. The American Medical Association hasn't even come around on medical cannabis. How are you going to interface with that organization and get them to come around? The good news is we don't need them. I mean, organized medicine has become, um, you know, completely irrelevant. You know, over the last few decades, they've lost, you know, millions of members. You know, there's very few. In most states, organized medicine represents under 20% of the physician community. Um, And so that's... uh, uh, you know that it, it's great that um, that there's most doctors are free thinkers and they don't need to look to they don't need to look to organize medicine to tell them how to view this idea. This the the issue about ending unfair drug or reforming drug policies that are bad for patients is a common sense issue. It's it's actually embedded in the AMA code of ethics. If you see the the very one of the principles of our ethical code is that we will abide by the laws of our nation, but we will also seek to change laws that are detrimental to our patients. And this is a clear um, damage to patients. The harms of criminalization are so obvious, and I think that we have a duty as physicians who who see the harms of criminalizing this plan every day to see families torn apart, to see lives ruined by being thrown in cages and all. It's it's so obvious that, that we have have a duty to our patients and to our communities to take um, a very public stand on this now and stop um, living in complacency. And be, so I'm I'm really excited to to go toe to toe with the AMA and how and if they don't come around, certainly we'll be um, eager to debate them at every turn and show them why their thinking is so antiquated and why it's time to to come together with the rest of society and say that, you know, that's what this was supposed to be about, right? Ungas was supposed to be about finally um, reevaluating antiquated drug 
policies and creating reform, but I don't see that happening here, and that's sad. I mean, we're but we're all here um, with each other at least, creating a groundswell of support, and hopefully we'll be able to stop people along the way and persuade them to reconsider their you know old thinking. Let's hope so. Final question: uh, We ran into you first because you uh, were granted that FDA study rights for PTSD and medical cannabis. Can you give us a quick update on that? Yeah. Um, the good news is that we're getting closer to starting. After six years of being impeded <laughs> by the government, we actually we had a successful DEA inspection a few weeks ago, and um, the DEA Schedule 1 license is the only thing prohibiting us from moving forward. Once we get a Schedule 1 license, I'll be allowed to purchase marijuana study drug from the University of Mississippi. I'll be able to then start screening patients. That I'll be, you know, we'll create an 800 number for veterans to call and be screened so we can enroll patients both at my site in Phoenix and we have a second site at the um, Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. So we're really thrilled. I, I will be um, announcing some big news later this week after 420 about the study, which I'm excited to update you on. But so far, um, things are, are looking optimistic finally after so many years of delays. Um, that's how the DEA usually has won at this is they by by suppressing scientific research you can't create you know there, there's no opportunity to to look at data that might legitimize cannabis as medicine so I always felt that was their strategy here but I'm starting to see that we're breaking through and the DEA is starting to realize the public pressure on them to stop blocking this work so hopefully later in the week we'll be able to update you on this big announcement that's great stuff Dr. Sue Sisley uh, tell us the name of the organization again and any contact info people need to join us. Absolutely. So it's Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. It's the hashtag is Doctors Say Legalize and the website is dfcr.org. dfcr.org. Check it out. Sue, thank you for joining us. You got it. Great meeting up with Dr. Sue Sisley there in New York City at the Museum of Drug Policy on Park Avenue. We're going to take a break and when we come back, we take you a little farther south to Baltimore, Maryland, where I met up with Dr. David Behrman at the Patients Out of Time conference. Then stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We'll talk a little bit about the news of the day. I got this story about corrupt cops in Chicago caught red-handed lying on the stand. It's a beautiful story. And then uh, we've got uh, State Senator Floyd Prozanski from the state of Oregon discussing the future of Oregon cannabis business at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. All coming up next on the Russ Bellville Show. This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way.
The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Hey, everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. While humans have been using cannabis for medicinal purposes for over 5,000 years, medical science is only beginning to unlock the secrets of the endocannabinoid system and the promise of cannabinoid medicines. Join us now for the latest cannabinoid medicine update. We're here at the 10th annual conference for cannabis therapeutics sponsored by Patients Out of Time. We're at the Baltimore Harbor Hotel, and I'm sitting at the desk with Dr. David Behrman, MD, author of Drugs Are Not the Devil's Tools. Capitalize not exactly. the Devil's Tools. How are you doing, Dr. Behrman? I'm doing just fine, and I want to thank you very much for uh, mentioning my book up in Portland there to the, uh, was it the normal chapter that you're yes, working yes. with? Yeah, that's great. It's, it's a fantastic uh, set of books. I've often said to people, like, if you've already bought Jack Harris, Emperor Wears No Clothes, this is the next set of books that you need to get because it fills in all those other gaps that were left out. And I'm going to use that in my advertising. Okay. Now, there's no, no greater compliment than being compared to Jack's book. Oh, know? yeah. So tell people, because it's two volumes here, so explain why there's two separate volumes and what they're going to find in each. Well, the reason that there's two separate volumes is my publisher told my layout person, you can make the internal margin either three-quarters of an inch or one inch, he made it three-quarters of an inch, and the book is too long. Uh, so we're actually going to be coming out uh, with a single volume late, uh, late this summer. Uh, we've uh, edited it. It's going to be newly laid out. But right now, the first volume goes from uh, the Dark Ages through 1969. It's The idea with the book is to place uh, cannabis and the way we approach that in the frame of a long history of using drug laws to marginalize, discriminated against people, and also to uh, take advantage of drugs as a way of, uh, of making money. And, and basically, it's turned out to be a control mechanism for the ruling classes uh, in terms of enriching them and also marginalizing people who are them. And, you know, yeah. we've all been them sometime in the history of the world. You're one of my favorite thems. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, well, no, we're us, aren't we us? Them are them. Them us are them, and we are us. 
And, and you know, this was uh, corroborated recently in that Harper's Magazine piece where uh, Ehrlichman, uh, the public policy oh, advisor yes. to Nixon, yeah. came out right out and said it. Look, we, we did this so we could infiltrate the hippies and the blacks. Exactly. And uh, that actually is uh, mentioned in my book. Uh, and an even uh, deeper analysis of that was done by uh, Dr. Sunil Agarwal, mm, yes. who wrote an excellent uh, article on the Nixon tapes and mentioned uh, what Ehrlichman had to say, and also talked about Nixon being angry at uh, the uh, directors of NIMH uh, or NIH during the uh, 60s. Uh, one was Stanley Yalis, the other one is Burt Brown, and when asked about what would be the appropriate punishment, they said, oh, something like a traffic ticket. Yeah. And uh, Nixon wanted to fire Brown, but he, he realized that Brown was a friend of Elliot Richardson, and Elliot Richardson was uh, uh, the head of HEW uh, uh, at the time and wasn't going to fire his friend. Right. And that was part of the motivation, as I get it from Dr. Uh, Agarwal's uh, article, for uh, developing the National Institute of Drug Abuse to get this out of the hands of the scientists and put it in the hands of people who had more of a criminal justice orientation. Gotcha. That's all beginning to make sense. This, it's all in these two-volume set, Drugs Are Not the Devil's Tools. People looking for this online, where would they find it? Uh, we uh, have uh, our own website. You can go to the uh, Drugs Are, are Not the Devil's Tools, uh, dot com. Uh, or you can go to my website, davidbearmanmd.com, and Behrman is spelled just like it sounds, B-E-A-R-M-A-N. The comes in uh, black and white and color. The black and white is $30 uh, per volume, so that's 60 for both of them, and the colored is $45 per volume. And the only difference is the colored is prettier. They have yeah. exactly the same, uh, same content. The same content. But as we're sitting here at the uh, conference here at Patients Out of Time, I was uh, pleased that everything that was covered this morning, where they talked about the terpenes and the cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system, all of that material is covered in, in my book. This oh, is a, a great foundation book to give you an idea of the history of drug policy, which goes way back to, to uh, the witch hunts. And, I mean, that's very appropriate since uh, cannabis has been uh, a part of the witch hunts since sometime in the 1940s. And what I'm hoping is is that if not the, the book itself, the information in the book will get out there because we still have way, way too many physicians who have no idea about the long history of cannabis as a medicine and about its remarkable applications today. No doubt about that. And I also know that you're strongly involved with the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicines. Right. I'm, and what's the latest there? Okay, well, thank you very much for bringing that up. The American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine uh, is an effort to try to recognize those doctors that are practicing good quality medicine and sort of by its very existence to marginalize those uh, physicians who are practicing minimalist medicine when it comes to recommending cannabis. The, you know, the guys who pull up the trailer to the cannabis ex expo and you can see the line move in front of their yeah, uh, trailer. Yeah. Uh, that undermines the seriousness with which we should take cannabinoid medicine. Uh, we continue to get um, uh, new members. Uh, we're a very um, frugally funded organization. So if anybody listening to your program wants to promote good quality medicine uh, in the cannabinoid medicine field, 
uh, go to our website, which is aacmsite.org, aacmsite.org, uh, and uh, let me know uh, if you are, are interested in uh, contributing money because you will really uh, put forth uh, getting this front and center before medical professionals the way it's supposed to be. We uh, have done uh, a couple of uh, continuing education uh, activities, and we have sort of dimly in the future, uh, we've approached the Veterans Administration in Long Beach, and they have some interest, but uh, you know how it is. It's mm-hmm. not easy uh, to get the government to, uh, to change, even when you have people that are interested in. And then uh, Greg Carter, who is busier than uh, a one-armed paper hanger, is the co-director of the uh, uh, St. Luke's Institute for Rehabilitation in Spokane. And uh, he has uh, said, hey, let's, let's put on a, a conference up here in Spokane. Uh, but beyond him expressing his interest, we haven't really gotten started on that. So uh, we, I'm going to be presenting a... Uh, survey that we did or an extraction of data from 300 charts, 100 from each of three cannabinoid medicine physicians, which is a beginning. It's to lay a foundation for looking at what we should study more in terms of uh, the clinical application. And basically what we found is what an old uh, 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 clinical medicine professor of mine said. He had a thick Austrian accent and he said, if you diagnose common disease commonly and rare disease rarely, you'll commonly be right and rarely be wrong. <laughs> and well put. So what we found with uh, the use of uh, cannabis as a medicine, it's commonly used for common disease, and more rarely uh, do you find rare diseases. And, you know, you take a look, and in our study we found about 1% or 2% of the patients had migraine headaches, and the same had seizures. And that's because not everybody and his brother has epilepsy. Right. But everybody and his brother does have pain, which was the number one reason that we found uh, for people using uh, cannabis. So I hope that people are interested in uh, the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine because we're trying really hard uh, to get uh, the medical profession to recognize that this is an important medicine and that it's important to take it seriously and to approach it the same way we would other serious therapeutic uh, modalities. I've been asking everyone at the conference their take on the recent talk about DEA and rescheduling possibly happening. What What do you think about that possibility? Uh, I think they wouldn't be talking about it if they weren't serious, and obviously they have to do something if they're going to approve uh, Sativex, uh, uh, the product for multiple sclerosis, or Epidiolex, the product for um, uh, uh, seizure disorder. So... I think they're going to do it. And my only concern now is, is we've been demanding legalization and regulation, uh, regulation and I just hope that, uh, you know, be careful what you ask for, you yeah. might get it. That, uh, you know, regulation and legalization is like anything else, the devil is in the details. So I, I think the general idea is a good idea, and I, I'm very concerned about the government because... Their track record is abysmal uh, in the area of drug regulation. Almost every action that they have taken subsequent to the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906 has been an abysmal failure. Wow. Strong words from Dr. David Behrman here at the 
Conference for Clinical Therapeutics, Patients at a Time. The book is Drugs Are Not the Devil's Tools, Volume 1, Volume 2. You can get it black and white or color. Check out DrugsAreNotTheDevil'sTools.com. Check out American Academy for Cannabinoid Medicine, AACMSite.org. Great running into Dr. David Behrman in Baltimore, Maryland. And, folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. But stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. Also got a story to tell you coming out of Chicago. Chicago narcs busted lying through their teeth on the stand in a marijuana case. You know I love those kind of stories. And a special exclusive on the Russ Belleville Show. We've got the entire presentation, half-hour presentation by State Senator Floyd Krasansky from Oregon, who's been a longtime supporter of the marijuana movement. We got his remarks at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, live from South Carolina, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tow. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the enema man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Right on, right on, right on. Welcome back, everybody. Time for Toker Talk Radio, coming to you live from South Carolina. My three-day stint here in the Palmetto State. Coming to an end tonight, uh, we're making our way to Atlanta, Georgia tomorrow morning. We've got the Unity Cipher that's made its way all the way from Portland, Maine. And I'll be taking it from South Carolina to Georgia, where it will... uh, 
tour around Atlanta. Uh, as I mentioned, I'll be in Atlanta, Georgia tomorrow and Saturday, but uh, I'll be doing the public events tomorrow. Uh, spending time with friends on Saturday. But the uh, public events tomorrow, Friday, April 29th, 1230 to 1 o'clock at the Capitol and Liberty Park. We'll be taking photos. 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock at Centennial Olympic Park near the water play fountains. 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock at the National Center for Civil and Human Rights. And, of course, we'll be lighting the torch at 4.20 p.m., then from 6 to 7.30, I'll be appearing at the Pot Shop at 1166 Euclid Avenue in Little Five Points, and that's where I'll be doing my show tomorrow. So we'll get there early and set up all the internet and the power and all that stuff, and we'll do a live show from Little Five Points. That ought to be fun. <laughs> I, I understand that Little Five Points is the hippie capital of the Southeast, so looking forward to that. And then uh, tomorrow, or I should say Saturday, April 30th, the torch goes from Atlanta to Jacksonville, Florida. We'll be flown down there by mid-Georgia -chap chapter leader and pilot Rick Rains. And then uh, it'll be in Jacksonville. It'll make its way down through Florida. I, on Sunday, will be flying to Miami, Florida, and then eventually the torch will make its way to me. So we'll get that all figured out next week. I don't exactly have the details for that. Also, I wanted to make a, a quick shout out to Denise Dory. <laughs> I've been in this Twitter argument with this woman named Denise Dory. Also, uh, hit me up on uh, Facebook. She's one of these uh, uh, stoners against legalization who say that uh, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, the California Sean Parker Initiative, whatever you want to call it, is the end of Prop 215. It's the end of medical marijuana. If Patients can't grow 99 plants for one another, then that's not true legalization. And she says we ought to reject the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. I guess just leave prohibition as it is. So I wanted to just go straight to the source because you know me, folks, I look shit up. And this is from the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, Section 11362.45. Nothing in Section 11362.1 which is the personal possession and cultivation section, which is the part that limits recreational cultivation to six plants indoors. Nothing in section 11362.1 shall be construed to or interpreted to amend, repeal, affect, restrict, or preempt. Then it lists a bunch of shit, right? Can't drink and drive, or you can't smoke and drive a boat or a car or whatever. Can't give away marijuana to people under 21. Uh, you can't have them in the pot shops. You can't uh, use it on a prison in a prison. Uh, you can't have professional negligence or malpractice because you're smoking pot. Uh, you, uh, you can still have drug-free workplaces. Uh, state or local government can restrict the actions otherwise permitted within a building of the state or local government. Uh, individuals or private entities can restrict it in their own private property. And then we get down to letter I, letter I, remember, nothing in section 11362.1 shall be construed or interpreted to amend, repeal, affect, restrict, or preempt laws pertaining to the Compassionate Use Act of 1996, a.k.a. Prop 215, a.k.a. Medical Marijuana. There's a section right there, Denise. 11362.45, look it up. Medical marijuana is unaffected by the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Period. All right, when we come back, we got that Chicago corrupt cop story. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know about this podcast. What I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Amazing story in StopTheDrugWar.org. Clarence Walker has written this up. Chicago narcs busted lying through their teeth in marijuana case. Basically, this happened back in 2013, June 6, 2013. Three Chicago narcs and a couple of Glenview police officers, a suburb of Chicago, pulled over a man named Joseph Sperling. Pretext stop, one of those, hey, you didn't use your turn signal. Right, sure. And then claimed that Sperling, the guy pulled over, told them there was drugs in the vehicle. The cops then said they found marijuana in plain view and arrested him on possession and distribution charges. But when it came time to go to court, things went south for the cops. The prosecutors had been questioning one of these Chicago PD narcotics officers named William Pruente, who said in sworn testimony that when police pulled over Sperling, they immediately smelled marijuana and ordered him to exit the vehicle and stand at the rear of the car. The defense attorney asked the cop if Sperling was handcuffed After he got out of the car. No, he wasn't handcuffed. The cop said he was not under arrest at the time. The other narcs, the Sergeant James Pater and Vince Morgan, and the two suburban cops, James Horn and Teresa Urbanowski, backed up his story. Said, no, he wasn't handcuffed. He was not under arrest. Then 
As Teresa Urbanowski was testifying, the defense attorney dropped a bombshell. He interrupted the testimony to inform Judge Catherine Haberkorn that he needed to offer a videotape into evidence. The uh, evidence revealed the video came from Urbanowski's police cruiser and flatly contradicted the sworn testimony of the police officers. The cops had been lying to the court and to the judge, and the video would prove it. So, defense attorney took Teresa Urbanowski back over the events. She's one of the suburban cops. Played the recording and asked her to describe the difference between her original testimony and what was happening on the tape. The footage contradicted the testimony of the police officers. Prente had testified that Sperling had not been arrested or handcuffed until the cops had found the dope in plain view. But the video showed the cop walking up to his car, reaching in the open window, unlocking the door, pulling him out, handcuffing him, placing him on the backseat of a patrol car, and then the cops went to search the car. So he just pulled him right out, handcuffed him immediately, then searched the car. Video clearly showed the officer spending minutes thoroughly searching his car before finding weed and a small amount of mushrooms in a black duffel bag. The defense attorney noted if the drugs had really been in plain view on the front seat of the vehicle, the officers had no reason to search it because they already had the drugs. (laughs) So that lie was caught. The difference between the officer's testimony and what the video revealed infuriated the judge who immediately granted the motion to suppress because the video showed they had no probable cause to arrest him. You know, remember he's pulled over for a turn signal, no probable cause for the arrest and no warrant to search the vehicle, no reason to search the vehicle. The judge said from the bench, quote, this is very outrageous conduct. All the officers lied on the stand today. All their testimony is a lie. There is strong evidence it was a conspiracy to lie in this case for everyone to come up with the same lie. And so the judge dismissed the criminal charges against Joseph Sperling, who was 23 at the time. The uh, Cook County criminal justice system uh, was then sued. He filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against the illegal search and seizure against the Chicago and Glenview Police Departments. The two cities settled the suit and paid him $195,000 for his troubles. Which is nice, but here's what I always have a problem with when I get to this part of the story. I'm happy as hell that Joseph Sperling got almost two hundred grand for having his civil rights violated. I'm not happy as hell that the taxpayers of Cook County, Illinois, are on the hook for it and not the cops themselves. See, these cops, they have pretty damn good pay. They got pretty damn good benefits and they got a really nice pension plan. You want to cut down on some of this outrageous police behavior where these guys, when they get busted for this stuff, they end up getting, you know, time off, paid leave, administrative leave while they're being investigated, right? You want to start cutting back on this, have the damages that are paid out to the victims of their malfeasance come out of their pension plan. Have the cops' pension plan start paying for some of these bad cops. Let's see maybe if that might change the attitude of some of the other cops to maybe violate that thin, you know, cross that thin blue line and start turning in the bad cops, knowing that it would cost all of them a little bit of their retirement for every bad cop that gets a judgment against them. 
Because if it's just the taxpayers paying off $195,000, what incentive is there? What punishment is there? What's going to change these cops from doing this again? Now, under um, the uh, U.S. Code, he could actually sue the cops themselves if someone uses the color of law, you know, their authority of a badge to conduct an illegal search. So um, this is a one of these cases, and this guy is just lucky that there was a videotape that contradicted these cops. Had this just been any other case without the backing and five cops all saying one thing and this guy saying another. And remember, he they did find weed and mushrooms. And that's where it's always going to be tough for a defendant in that case because there are people in this country who have this attitude that, well, he was doing something wrong. Even if the cops didn't do it the right way, they did catch a, a, a so-called bad guy, right? There's people that really have that attitude. But of course the people that are involved in these cases that end up suing like this are the ones that got caught with something. The ones that didn't get caught with anything most likely wouldn't have been abused in the first place. This testalying in this case is not rare. This happens all the time. And, and for five cops to conspire in a lie like this, over something as little as finding personal use amounts of weed and mushrooms in a, in a young man's duffel bag. Imagine what they're willing to do in larger cases with greater odds. In larger cases with more on the line. And, and, the, and the brazen and, and calm way, the ease with which they get on the stand and regularly lie about these things. The Crook County, or the Cook County, pardon me. There is a Crook County in Oregon, by the way. Cook County Public Defender and former prosecutor Abishi Cunningham Jr. said, quote, I've heard some police officers say in a social setting, if the defendant is going to lie to beat the case, why can't I lie too? Former San Francisco Police Commissioner Peter Keene once said, quote, Police perjury in court to justify illegal dope searches is commonplace, end quote. Houston civil and criminal attorney Annie Briscoe once said, quote, when police lie to make a case on someone, they are saying the criminal justice system doesn't work, so I'm going to do it my way, end quote. And of course, a lot of this is incentivized by the war on drugs itself. When we're talking about cops going after rapists or murderers, violent people. This might be a place where there'd be a little moral leniency. Not that there should be, but there there might be some moral leniency. But when we're talking about drug cases, we're talking about cops being incentivized to make these arrests. It's not usually the people that are consuming the marijuana or the mushrooms that are desperately calling the police trying to make it stop. These are all consensual crimes. These are all crimes that are being committed by people who want this product and want to, want to sell it, want to buy it, want to use it. 
and we incentivize our cops by giving them these burn grants, these U.S. justice grants that give them more if they make more arrests, particularly the drug arrests. We create a system where pulling someone over on the pretext of a turn signal equals the possibility to inflate arrest stats to be able to have an easy day at work dealing with someone who's a cannabis consumer and not likely to cause much problems for the police in, in the process of the arrest of the prosecution or anything like that. We have a situation where these marijuana arrests also are incentivized through civil asset forfeiture by the cops being able to seize cash, to be able to seize cars and other personal belongings based on just the hunch that someone might have drugs on them. It's not a surprise to hear of this case coming out of Chicago, but it's happening all over America. It's happening all over in this war on drugs. We've got cops lying on the stand to try to bust people for doing something that's not harming anyone. And it just continues to erode our faith in our justice system, erode our relationship with law enforcement and continue to turn us into an us versus them world. And I don't want it to be that way. I want to be able to respect our law enforcement. We've got to end the war on drugs for that to happen. Where'd you learn that Cheech? Drug school. All right. That sound means it's 420 back in my ancestral homeland, the Pacific time zone. Happy 420 to everyone back there in Portland, Oregon, and all along the West Coast. We're going to take a break, and then we've got our special State Senator Floyd Pazanski from the state of Oregon discussing the new laws and regulations on the Oregon cannabis business industry and what the future holds when we come back. Every strain, every sale, every medical study, Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! 
With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 23 and a half after the hour. And coming up, we've got State Senator Floyd Przanski. He spoke at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference this last Sunday. Great conference. Took place in Eugene, Oregon. There have been a lot of law and regulatory changes that have happened in this short session. A lot of them that are affecting the marijuana industry. State Senator Przanski has been a longtime supporter of marijuana reform, and we bring you this special extended bit with him. So thank you all very much for allowing me to be here. Alex, as always, this is a great presentation opportunity to have everyone who believes in the issue who get together and actually see how we can move forward the uh, cannabis industry here in Oregon and actually setting the landmarks, I believe, that will be going nationally, hopefully sooner than later. So what I want to do is uh, what I've done in the past, and I think it's important for those who have not been uh, familiar with how Oregon has, in fact, been a leader. We heard this morning about uh, how we can actually and have set the pace. Think back in years as to what we've actually have accomplished in this state. Uh, pr- prior to me knowing it was Oregon versus Oregon, back in 1973, Oregon was the first state to decriminalize less than an ounce of marijuana. In 1998 is when Oregon voters passed Measure 67, which is the medical marijuana uh, uh, bill and program. This is one that I had the opportunity to get involved in as an advocate as well as an advisor for on the uh, technical side. At the time, I was working, uh, I still am working as a prosecutor, but had just come out of the district attorney's office and was used as a uh, conduit for what is uh, the current law and how we could actually make certain when medical came on that we took and protected individual rights of patients. That same year, um, um, uh, the voters of Oregon also rejected a measure that was uh, referendumed uh, by the voters, Measure 57. This law would have recriminalized marijuana where it had been decriminalized in 1973, and the voters in this state overwhelmingly, two to one or greater, said, no, we do not want it to be recriminalized. Now, the reason that you ask, why would someone want to go there? Well, in that time frame, the law enforcement wanted to have access to doing search warrants. And clearly, if you could actually get a search warrant on someone that had less than an ounce, you could see where that would go. Fortunately, the voters of this state understood that that was not the direction to go forward, and so that was uh, knocked down. In 2009, we had the uh, Oregon, we did reclassify marijuana from a Schedule 1. Now, I know our speaker that uh, was talking about not wanting to go to a Schedule 2, but in the time frame of what we were attempting to do, I thought it was important for our medical patients to get as much protection as we can get. Under the, as you know, under Schedule 1, uh, the whatever substances are there, they uh, have been deemed not to have any medical attributes or have any uh, worthiness to be used as medicine. 
I wanted to ensure that if, if we had a change in the law that was going to be av uh, adversarial toward the medical marijuana program in this state, that we gave the best protection we could against federal intervention by having our state said, no, we recognize after 10 years of the medical program that it was in fact and is in fact a medicine and that we needed to protect our patients from being able to uh, keep them uh, being able to keep their medicine and not uh, be, uh, let's say, in the downside from the uh, federal government intervention. As has been mentioned in 2013 is when the legislature did, in fact, uh, pass the medical dispensary law, and this is where we start getting into some of the more t difficult uh, discussions that took place. Uh, and this is where we, I think we had some of the unfortunate uh, outcomes that happened in the uh, subsequent to that. But 2013 was a hallmark. Myself and Representative Peter Buckley were the uh, co-sponsors of, uh, of the bill that actually allowed for dispensaries to be set up in the state. And it was important because it uh, provided for easier access for patients. As many of you know who serve as patients, they are not able to grow for themselves. Uh, and many of them not only can afford uh, their, uh, the medicine, they needed also, some wanted and needed to have the ability to get it uh, more readily, and that's what I believe the dispensaries have, in fact, provided for patients. But we have to keep in mind, as I just mentioned, and what we've heard earlier this morning, that we cannot believe and should not be led to believe that everyone who's using medicine, medical uh, marijuana, is, in fact, able to afford the cost of what it is at a dispensary. And this is one of the things I'll say for all of you who are uh, growers, caregivers uh, that are taking care of your patients, thank you very much. I understand what you have had to go through to actually trying to make ends meet and uh, being able to pay for the expenses that you need to pay for, but your heart is still there as to taking care of the patients, and I want to thank you for that opportunity. Please. Now, in 2014 is when the uh, voters did, in fact, pass Measure 91, which allowed for the recreational use of marijuana for adults 21 years and older. And at the same time, remember what Measure 91 said, do no harm to the medical program. Do no harm to the medical program. Now, what I will tell you, unfortunately, as you can see uh, and you know from what happened in 2015 with the legislation that was passed by the legislature to implement Measure 91, I believe there has, in fact, been harm committed against patients, and we need to try to uh, override that, and we need to ensure that we do not have any more uh, negative consequences for those who are needing medicine and not having the ability to actually, one, take care of themselves in that means, and also ensuring that they are not forgotten as we move forward with this new recreational uh, model. So let me explain a little bit more as to how, that, how this is playing out. In uh, Oregon, just like any other legislature, or in Salem, I should say, at any other capital in the country, there are times where legislation is being put together, and I believe some people in their heart really believe they're doing the right thing, even though you try to convince them that you could, in fact, have unintended consequences from the situations that we go forward. In 2015, we actually had a bill, House Bill 3400A, that was the, pa the bill that was passed uh, regarding the overhaul and building uh, the, uh, the network for the, uh, for the uh, recreational use of marijuana under Measure 91. And then House Bill 2041A also was another bill that was important to ensure that we had the two components or sets that we needed uh, to move forward. 
and, and making these bills and making some of the changes that were done, I would consider it somewhat sausage-making. At the end, you have a lot of things being thrown into the, into the pot, and then at that point, some stuff comes out as good, some stuff comes out as bad. I'll just use one example for you that I think is, uh, kind of denotes how this has worked out. Uh, limiting taxing authority to the state of, uh, legislature, that is a must. What we do not need and what we don't want to have is having local communities being able to run their own taxing scheme on these type of uh, 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 transactions. And the reason I say that, you just have to look at some of the communities of how they were receptive or not receptive to the, uh, the uh, decisions that were made by the voters to allow for recreational use of marijuana in this state. Uh, Fairview was one state that said we will be taxing, excuse me, one city that said we will be taxing at 40%. 40%. Now, the goal that I've always had, and I believe many people that are in the movement have, is that we want to get rid of the drug cartels. We want to take this out of the black market. We want to legitimize it because that's where it should be. And we have seen already as to what type of impact it will have for revenue for the state to take care of bottled services in this state. But when you have a city that says that they're going to tax at 40%, another one saying, well, we're not even going to let it come in, how do you make that work? And so fortunately, we had cool minds and we agreed, just like we do with alcohol. Alcohol is taxed at the state level. The same thing with, uh, with uh, tobacco. There is some uh, uh, movement as to allowing for a little bit of change, transitions on the tobacco side, but in the... Uh, marijuana side is being treated, and as we said, we should be treated just like alcohol in the way of how we tax it, and we should maintain control. Now, the question is, even though the state has the authority and has maintained and preserved it for exclusively for the state to do, we do have some situations that don't make a lot of sense to me. When we start with retail sales next year, the tax will be 17% at the state. We will allow for cities or counties who have these facilities in their jurisdictions to be able to tack on an additional 3%. So throughout the discussions that we had in the legislative process, it was always my belief that we would have only 20% maximum. In other words, you would not have a city such as Eugene that allows for uh, the industry to be here to have 3%, and then Lane County, which is the county that Eugene is in, to tack on another 3%. We wanted to keep it low, and the reason is we want to break the drug cartel hold and getting it where it's going to be more receptive for individuals to be buying over the counter than buying on the street corner. So by doing that, I felt really good that we had a, a break. I personally would, would like to have seen it less than 17% because I think we could do that. The numbers are showing us after two months where we thought, and it was uh, forecast to have $3 million in taxes in the first year. We had that in the first month. January alone was three hundred. That uh, was three million dollars, and then it's now the second set has come out and it's showing again another three million. So that's six million. It doesn't take much of a rocket scientist to figure out that this is something that's going to be good for our communities, so long as we don't allow people to go crazy over the uh, the, the money grab that we have. But for whatever reason, the legislature was convinced through our uh, modeling that was done for us that we should start the tax at 25%. So right now, for those in, uh, in the industry that have dispensaries that are selling retail, you're charging 25%. So this is my forecast of what's going to happen. Come uh, next uh, January, you're going to see the tax from 25% drop back to 17 for the state, then optional another 3 so that's 20%. 
So some people are going to say, wait a second, maybe the state should get a little bit more. You know, they're already paying 25%. So I will forecast that you're going to see, maybe not in 2017, but sometime shortly thereafter, a move by the state to try to up the tax to where it would be 22%. 3% for the, uh, on the local level, and then you'd be back at that 25%. I hope that you will tell your representatives and your senators, no, that is not what we need, because what we want to do is we want, if we are serious about breaking the drug cartels, if we're serious about making this a legitimate business, we need to give every opportunity for those who have been on the outs, who want to come in, to be able to come in, and we need to ensure that those individuals that are buying legally are going to be buying at a lower cost than what it would be out on the streets. Now, regarding uh, 2016, our legislative process now, we meet annually. Uh, We used to meet every other year, but fortunately, the voters in 2010 agreed that it was appropriate for this state to start meeting annually. We have the long session, the odd number of years. That's where we do our major uh, policy work. Also set our budget for two-year process. That's about a five, five-and-a-half-month project or process that we go through. And then in the even number of years, such as this year, we had what I would refer to as our short session, a maximum of 35 days and it basically starts the first Monday in February and we went until I believe it was March 3rd uh, about three days short of the 35 days within that time you've heard speakers this morning talk about pushing out a lot of legislation there were six bills that were passed that dealt directly on the marijuana issue 14 uh, excuse me house bill 4014 was an overhaul of the major bill that we did in 2015 again these is as we've heard others say this is a work in progress it will be a work in progress into the part of the next five to six maybe seven or eight years of us making the tweaks making the adjustments just like any major legislation that's done in this state you have to realize that you're not going to get it right the first time so you need to be able to come back and make these changes i'm very pleased to see and hear how well OLCC is working with the advocates. There was concern at the very beginning that OLCC may not be up to the task just because there was a lot of transition that took place and and such. They have stepped up and they have been at the table. On the other hand, the Oregon Health Authority has been dragging and dragging and dragging. And I'm not sure why, because at one point they were a model for the medical program and how they were help, uh, helping facilitate for medical need. Uh, but for whatever reason, the uh, I, you have to look at the director because she's the one that sets the policies and the framework within that uh, agency. Uh, for whatever reason, does not really believe in the uh, concept that... Uh, uh, marijuana actually has medical uh, properties. At least that's what I come away from because I keep trying to work with their agency and making certain that we take care of patients, but it seems to me that they're looking at how we can put more obstacles in the way. So uh, 2014 was a bill that uh, took care of some of the changes that needed to be made after the uh, major bill in uh, 2015. House Bill 4094 is an interesting bill that we've done. This is another one that I think Oregon is trying to take the lead and show the federal government why they need to make changes in their current laws. This one actually allows for and gives certainty to those who are in the banking industry. If you are banking with legitimate businesses that are registered in this state to be doing medical marijuana programs or a recreational program, that you will not be faced with criminal charges at the state level. Now, why is that important? Well, I mean, if you're a banker, you don't want to make, you want to make certain you're not going to be going to jail for the work that you do. 
Now, we've heard about the situations on tax uh, relief as to uh, being able to deduct your price of what you're going through and your, and your business, what your uh, costs are and how you can deduct it. Yes, you cannot do that at the federal level, but this bill, 4094, will in fact allow for businesses in Oregon to be able to make those deductions on their state taxes. Again, I think this is important for us and the other states that have gone down this road, Colorado, uh, Washington State, Alaska now, and others that will be coming on through this next election cycle and in the the general elections in November, to be leading the way so we can show the federal government what they should have been doing years ago. So the other bills that were passed during this session, Senate Bill 1524, this is one that allows for uh, veterans who are under the OMP program to have an exemption as to their cost. And this, I'll go back a little bit over this, but it's going to limit their uh, their cost for their card of $20. Again, I think this is very important. Now, the issue when you look at some of the situations, we've heard uh, Anthony... uh, Uh, Johnson bring this up, and I think it's very important. The way our system is set up now, because of a shortfall with the recession, there was an agreement, I believe it was back in 2008, uh, 2009, excuse me, uh, that the legislature was going to allow for some of the money that was coming into the OMMP program to be used in other parts of the Oregon Health Authority to fund other programs that needed to have cash under this situation. I can tell you I attempted in this last short session to have that changed uh, over and actually uh, had an amendment that was drafted that would in fact said that come 2017, next year, that we would basically take that uh, uh, prevention of having the... Uh, having the money that's going into these programs that are non-OMMP related stopped. So... This is something you need to be working on with your Congress, your, with your uh, senator and your representative in the, in the state. You need to make sure they understand that it's not fair to take millions of dollars out of the OMMP program and use it in other areas where it is not a OMMP program. The reason I say that is because we've heard that they want to increase the cost of a medical card thinking, well, these people can just afford another $200, another $500 on top of what they're already paying. We need to get that message across that it's not fair, it's not right, again, to divert money that has been raised off of medical patients to go into other programs. Those are great programs, but we, the legislature, should be funding them through the general fund or through some other means and not on the back of medical patients. The other two bills I'll mention to you is uh, 1598. This is a bill dealing with marijuana on, it is now considered in this state an agricultural crop, which it should have always been. Uh, And this is an area that takes in, I think, more so of uh, one of the things that I had the opportunity to be part of back in 2009, of being one of the uh, co uh, chief sponsors of passing the industrial hemp legislation that allows for industrial hemp to be grown in this state. At the time that we passed it in 2009, because of the uh, prohibitions at the, state, at the federal level, we had to set it up where it was basically only going to be allowed once the federal government 
opened up the opportunity for industrial hemp on a more national level. But we've been uh, given a benefit, and this is one of these wacky things, under the medical, or excuse me, under the federal definition of marijuana, industrial hemp is cut as captured under that definition. It shouldn't be, but it is. But in this case, it worked out well because the Cole memo that you've heard about that came from the United States Department of Justice actually said certain things about what states could do if they had marijuana in their uh, state in their state and they were following certain parameters. Because of the definition tying in industrial hemp, it opened the door to allow for industrial hemp to start being grown in this state, and it has and it will continue to be so uh, through the Department of uh, Agriculture and the sense of licensing and stuff. We have uh, already had, I believe, five or six licenses in the last year uh, that were issued for the last uh, growth cycle, and I expect there's going to be more. As many of you know in this room, the CBD has now been attributed to industrial hemp, and so I think you're going to see a movement where those individuals who are growing industrial hemp are going to be wanting to get that into the medical programs. And the only thing that we said that needed to occur is that if it's going to be for human ingestion, it has to meet the same test that we have for any other product that's going to be for human ingestion. And so that is another one that I think is going to be a bright star for this state. And then the last bill that passed in 16 was 1601, and that dealt, again, with taxation issues, which was important to ensure that we uh, made it as streamlined as possible. Now, what I want to go over a couple of things before we take some questions is that one of the other areas that we passed in 4014, this is, I think, something that is kind of correcting an injustice that has occurred. And that is basically taking penalties, uh, criminal penalties that have been assessed against individuals in the war on drugs as it pertains to cannabis and have downgraded those uh, levels of offenses. I will tell you we're not finished, but we've made headway uh, on many of them. One of them I'll just give you as an example. Delivery within a 1,000 feet of a school by a minor to another minor for no consideration. Would you believe that before that law changed, that was a Class A felony. Class A felony is the highest felony we have in the state. If you murder someone uh, intentionally, that's a Class A felony. But So if you had two kids basically giving pot to each other within a thousand feet of the school, that's what was there. So now we were able to drop that down to a misdemeanor uh, as a Class A. So it gets it more in a balance and a perspective of what's more reasonable. Is it the best decision? No. But the reality is we need to take these incremental steps to get us down there. As much as I and I think most of you in this room would like to see this turn on and off like a switch and just make all these changes at once, we have a lot of people that need to be encouraged and, and uh, empowered. And the way they're going to be empowered with people like you in this room visiting them and again your representatives and your senators, as you've heard throughout this uh, process, need to hear from you as their constituents and why these laws need to be updated and changed. Now, I wanna, I'm going to kind of close with my, um, my remarks before I take questions and just tell you that a couple of things. Oregon has, in fact, been a leader in the evolution of cannabis in the United States. It has been and will continue to be so. For us to do that, we need to uh, consider what and how we make the mark and what's the model that we are going to be providing to other states because I can tell you from my uh, visits and even in Colorado where they've been up and running for two years, they are still looking at Oregon because some of the stuff they did out of the gate wasn't right. They see how we've made those adjustments and they're now coming and making uh, changes in their own state. 
So this is a point that I want to ensure uh, that we walk away from this camp, uh, this uh, conference. Everyone who's here who wants to get in the business to make money, you will make money if you do it right. I ask you to stay with your heart and make certain that we take care of those who are going to be most adversely impacted, the medical patients, if we don't make certain that we keep the provisions that are in place that ensure that they have easy access and, in some cases, free access to medicine. And so as you are developing your business plans for your operations, I ask you to keep those things in your thoughts, ensuring that you are willing to give back to those who led the charge, for those who need to have the ability to get medicine, and that I think it's very, very important that we uh, take care and provide for them. One of the things that will make us and set us apart from the other states, what I've heard from uh, both in Washington State as well as from Colorado, is that we are looking at high, uh, maintaining high standards and testing for remedial contaminants, looking what type of pesticides can be used in the production, ensuring that we can be, quote-unquote, as organic as we can be, as that term is not defined under federal law, but what we can do when keeping it to the basics, we will set ourselves where we have already been branded to having some of the best product coming out of the country, if not the world, we will be a leader in exporting this product once it goes national. So what I will say with that is that as much as you might want to make that first million six months ago, take a deep breath. It's going to happen. If you stay true to your beliefs and your philosophies and work with all of us to make certain we do the right thing for Oregon, you will prosper just like Oregon will. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. Senator Floyd Przonsky, everybody, let him know. I really appreciate your words about... Eliminating the, the black market and, uh, and protecting patients. That's very important. Thank you very much. Hold on. We have a question here. Uh, this is probably more of a commentary than a question because there really isn't an answer. But are those counties and cities that are not allowing um, cannabis in their communities also allowed to use the state funding that the business is in? Yeah, that's a great question. The way it has worked out and the way Ballot Measure 91 said that during the first year there was going to be this process that everyone gets to participate. And so that is what's happening this first year. After this, if a city or if a county chooses not, chooses not to have those uh, 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 markets in their jurisdictions, they will not be receiving tax dollars. Uh, over here to your right. Um, so I come from a little bit outside the cannabis industry, was invited in by some friends. And if there's one thing I've noticed is that it's really this sort of pie in the sky, make your millions beliefs. And I tell you, I've never invested more of my time and my money into getting something off the ground. And I haven't many, met any more expert growers that had daytime jobs. So, you know, when you think about all this tax revenue and the states want to bring it up and 40% and you can't take deductions... I mean, we are scraping by, and I've invested more than this than I have in anything else. It's a, you got to work your tail off. you got to be a great business person. you got to have great partners. And then you need some luck, too. Because, you know, between the pests and everything else, there's a lot of opportunity for failure. So I, I would love, anybody who's thinking about investing or that you, you think about taking this stuff back to, the, to tax conversations, it just doesn't fall out of the sky, and the money doesn't grow on trees. you really got to work for it. 
No. And that's very true as to the, the issues when you think about the tax dollars. I believe that and that's my, one of my concerns is that many of my colleagues who have been dragging their feet all of a sudden are going to see how many zeros are behind and they're going to say, wait, we can actually make a lot of money. Well, it's a, it's a balancing for sure and for yourself and for many in this room that have uh, – it's a high risk. I mean it's not as simple as just putting money down that you're going to be guaranteed that you're going to be successful. And so that's one of the things that I feel it's very important for us at the state legislature to still maintain the control on a statewide basis to ensure that we make certain and we foster for small mom-and-pop businesses to be able to make it. One of my concerns, and I'll tell you, I mean I'm going to out myself just like Matt says – you know, I, in 2015, wanted to see a uh, uh, residence requirement on the different licenses. There were a lot of people that came in after that bill passed and said, no, wait a second, it shouldn't be done. And so in this last year, we took it away. But I'm going to tell you why I think it should have stayed for one license, and that's the production side. And the reason I think it should have stayed in the production side is because we were told in 2015 that there was three to five times the amount of product being grown in the state that was, that was necessary for filling both medical and recreational. If that is true, if that is true, why would we want to bring in people from out of state that have mega bucks? And when I say mega bucks, I'm talking millions of millions of dollars of capital to come in and basically take on our, uh, the industry that's been here for 14 years. Now, what I will say, let me say this is the way I think that it should have worked. I didn't win the fight, you know, by uh, the battle. I made the fight, and it didn't happen. We could have had a vertical license for those who wanted to come in from out of state, allow them to grow production-wise for their own use and their own vertical system where they would not be able to come in and then basically flood the market by selling all of their products across the board. They'd have to do it within their own license structure. And someone says to me, well, I don't know if that, you know, if you're, if you're really concerned, uh, if your concerns are really meritous. Well, be, the day that we voted on the, uh, on the new bill uh, in 2016 that modified 3400, I had received a call from a small brewery that's here in Eugene telling me that he and four other family businesses that are in a warehouse where he had a 10-year lease at 35 cents per square foot for growing, at, excuse me, for brewing, that basically his landlord came in and said, I want to renegotiate that lease. I want you to pay me a dollar a square foot three times, which I already agreed for you to pay for nine years. And if you don't, I've got an outside, out-of-state investor who's going to come in and pay me that amount. So now I've got four, if not five, family businesses that are, are and they're not all, none of them are um, in the cannabis industry. They're going to be displaced because someone's coming in with the big bucks and they're undercutting. And you say, well, that's illegal. Well, it may be illegal. They may not be able to go through the bankruptcy and do that if you actually challenge it. But as his attorney told him, do you really want to put in the time, the money, only to have a disgruntled landlord for the next nine years trying to service your, your place? So these are somewhat, I consider, somewhat unintended consequences. Clearly, the way we had this licensing set up, after 
four years, it would go away. Two years, they'd be uh, uh, residential, and then they could do anything and everything. But it would be a, just a little slower process. And again, for me, it's not, no one should be trying to get in this, to get rich quick. Let's move through this industry forward so it's going to stay in place. It's going to have the stability. And I felt that that was going to be more tra- tra- uh, transitional way of doing it. It didn't happen. So I will be working as I can within this confines that we have to do what's best for Oregonians. All right. Thank you. We have time for one more. My, my name is Melanie Davis, member of the media, El Hispanic News, PQ Monthly. I have a question regarding OLCC oversight and uh, their – actually, the opportunity um, that they actually haven't done a lot of uh, communication with the disenfranchised communities um, who continue to be uh, – Adversely affected, exactly, and, you know, for delivery of medicine. So who's overseeing OLCC when it comes to outreach and communication, particularly to disenfranchised communities? Well, the oversight for all of the state agencies is, in fact, the legislature. So by you bringing these uh, these t- concerns to me, it's something I can bring up. I'm not sure if OLCC, if Will and them are still here, but I think that is really an excellent question. And if they are here, I would really encourage you to go talk to them directly on a one-on-one basis as to what you're seeing or, or lack not seeing and what you think needs to happen. Uh, He's standing and, right here in the back, by the way. I didn't hear that. I said Will's right there oh, in the back. Oh, wonderful. Okay, great. So Will's in the back. If you, if that, uh, I think that's a great conversation to have. I, I will say for OLCC, they are working their tails off. I've been, as I said at the beginning of my presentation, very pleased where at the very beginning we were really concerned as to whether this was going to be an overload with the lack of resources that they do have. I think they have done a wonderful job, and you heard on a panel earlier this morning how well they're working with advocates, and that's really what we want agencies to do. I just wish I could get the Oregon Health Authority to do the same thing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Senator Floyd Przanski. Really appreciate you championing the cause and working for the people. State Senator Floyd Przanski has always been a great supporter of the Oregon Medical Marijuana Act. And now as marijuana legalization is taking root in the state of Oregon, he's a great supporter of that issue as well. That's about all the time we got for today's show. Thanks for joining us here live from South Carolina. For those listeners out there who said I had to get a hold of some uh, barbecue before I left the state, that has been done. Pulled pork sandwiches and hot spicy barbecue sauce happening right now. (laughs) For everyone here for CannabisRadio.com live in South Carolina, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in Atlanta tomorrow all day long and live from Little Five Points. We'll bring you a special edition of the Russ Belville Show. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.
Take those